0: Alright guys, welcome back to my, the eighth, part 83 of my, uh, of my Beastie Boys discography, uh, review. <laughs> uh, today I'm being, I, I'm being helped with, uh, the, the, the review alongside my good friends Matt, Sergio, and what also known as Kai. Hello. Hello. So when did the Beastie Boys change your life? 1957. I don't think they were alive. Try again.
1: (laughs) You're clearly not a Beastie Boys fan, if you believe that. I can't believe you'd review 83 parts of discography without noting the
0: incident of 57. Anybody else want to include when the Beastie Boys changed their life?
2: (laughs) Um, Here's my legitimate answer. I know one song by the Beastie Boys. Is it it the song I think it is? It's probably the song you think it is, and I don't remember the title. You gotta fight, yeah. For that your one. right,
0: the party. Yep, that
2: the music video changed my life when I was like, I don't know, probably like six, seeing it for the first time. That's all I gotta say.
0: They're hmm. dead, Beastie a Boys. Video. That's crazy. I I, I believe you. <laughs> what What about you, Sergio? When did the Beastie Boys change your life?
3: Uh, September data expunged, uh, 2001.
2: The the 21st. The May day before September. the incident.
0: Damn. So how's everybody doing?
1: I'm doing pretty good. Just finished eating some Arby's chicken sandwiches, and by finished, I mean I'm finishing. I'm still on one.
2: <sighs> Arby's. I finished eating
0: some veggies. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Yummy. My mom took me out to dinner and it was weird cuz usually I I usually she doesn't want to go out to dinner but she, usually I have to ask but she was like do you want to get dinner after work and I was like yeah what are you, what are you trying to get out of me <laughs> <laughs> damn <That's> dude <laughs> but we got pizza and it was good we nice. went to this other restaurant, and we looked at the menu, and it was $30 for a bowl of chicken alfredo. And we were like, yeah, there's a pizza place across the street. <laughs>
1: that better be a fucking family-sized bowl of chicken alfredo. Like, it's just a giant fucking pot of better chicken it was. Leaf, I think it. it
0: was just a really fancy restaurant that was overly expensive. Probably. Um, Probably. So that's my guess.
1: Uh, hey, you been to so,
3: uh, you know, things have been going. So, mm. um, we have for what do we, the audience. What, we
1: what What do we have? We have. What do we have.
0: I love interrupting, Sergio.
3: <laughs> we have uh the next chapter of the old and Party. This is a very long one, so you'll either get one big episode or two episodes, depending on how much we get through before Friday. Uh, but you will get this oh this chapter God, in some shape or so form.
0: Many. It's so long. Yum. Yeah.
1: All right. It is it's
3: long. It's
0: sl- it's slightly shorter than according to the scroll bar. Of course, it's slightly shorter than the last one. So I'm assuming we're either going to just bench it two days in a row or This is 18,000
1: words. Pussy shit. Baby shit.
3: True. We've literally yeah. done a little bit longer than that. But uh yeah. I will I will start I will start us off Um, with the first one, the I want you to for the Imperial Inquisition. This is the ongoing...
0: I I want you.
3: Thanks, Jacob. For the Imperial
0: Inquisition. Thank you, Matt. (laughs) You're welcome.
3: This is the ongoing tale of a bunch of guardsmen who got drafted into the Inquisition after their regiment was reduced to a mere 37 men by a combination of orcs, heretics, more orcs, tyrannids, and, of course, their own leadership. Currently, they work for an Inquisitor that is the 40k equivalent of Professor Oak. He provides teams and missions to interrogators who need to get some leadership experience before becoming full Inquisitors.
0: Those previous chapters can be found here. Hyperlink. That's not a uh, hyperlink, that's just a link. Link.
1: <laughs>
0: link. I I know I know yeah! like what <laughs> I said I said link and then I went, yeah <laughs> like he does.
2: That was horrifying, not gonna it lie. It was
0: so
1: loud. It it <laughs> I thought it was like a mic spam you'd gotten somehow.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, not you
1: yeah you aren't me anyways am I, I'll start am i, off, not, allowed, am I not allowed to make link
0: noises on my godforsaken pot well we're doing it in Holy order God. i'm assuming so it'd be you kai me or you me kai or however kai do you care i'm going to
1: start reading <sighs> and whoever gets to read At second Reed. is the first person who starts <laughs>
0: Oh my god, these liberals are so
1: needy. If you take longer than two nanoseconds, I will read this whole goddamn thing by myself, so help me god. I, will I won't say anything. That, while that, I'm would reading. Probably,
0: that would
2: probably get us a lot of views.
1: No, because it's not me reading porn.
2: You don't know what's in Anyways. this chapter.
1: Don't. Please. Please no.
2: no.
1: <laughs> Sarge's head hurts. He is lying in a pile of rubble. One of his eyes isn't working. He can't feel his left arm, and the only thing he can hear over the ringing in his ears is muffled coughing from some debris on the other side of the dimly lit room. This is a complete non-sequitur train wreck of a a sidetrack here, okay? But this just popped back into my head. The word debris sticks out in my mind because my mom, every time... I would say it from the ages of four to 14. If I said debris, she would remind me of the story. She was in training and this hotshot Karen bitch was reading a report off for these professional doctors and trying to sound really smart about her analysis. And they asked her what she thought of this uh, urine a uh, sample of some kind, or, or it was an X-ray of some kind. It seemed uh, it was something, something to do with the male phallus. And she looked My at it and she the doctor
0: said, for said,
1: "Yes, yes." Uh, she looked at this X-ray of the male phallus and she said, "Hmm, it appears there is debris in the bladder."
2: Ew. Debris. Horrible. I'm
0: debris. 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 I'm almost certain that that story has been told on the podcast before, which I think is the first time. We've ever told a story and I've sat there and I've gone, have we talked about this before? Which I, considering how much I repeat I, I repeat myself specifically, I'm amazed that hasn't happened yet. Unless I like repeat Ralph myself, repeat myself, so unless, uh, unless Ralph has any like counter arguments to that, and where he's like, Yeah, you actually repeat yourself all the time, you fucking idiot. Um Damn. It's possible. But to Ralph my knowledge. Know. <laughs>
1: Sarge fucked over in a room, dimly lit. While he watches, a hand claws its way out of the wreckage and seizes the edge of a table. Seconds later, it is followed by the scrawny arm, scrawnier chest, and helmeted head of Nubby. Sarge tries to croak a warning as the trooper overbalances and falls against the wall, but he's too late. The entire room is filled with blinding light and screams. Cursing loudly and moving with incredible speed, Sarge lifts the table off his arm, staggers to his feet, and switches the lights back off. All around the room, figures are sitting up and swearing at Nubby, between pained groans. A half-empty bottle sails out of a small furniture fortress and just barely misses the trooper. In a croaking voice, Sarge asks if... Anyone remembers where the fuck we are? Why an eye patch and tricorn hat have been glued to my head? And who the fuck the trooper duct tape to the ceiling is? Twitch is frantically searching his fort for several personal items that seem to be missing. Outside, however, there is an ominous click as Sarge finds one of them. In the middle of the frantic scramble to defuse the mine, a tall man wearing a bathrobe and holding a cup of Recaf walks in. The man takes in the wrecked room and its mostly sleeping occupants, then casually picks his way towards the troopers. He steps around the spot where Sarge is trying not to move and makes his way to Twitch's fortress, where he retrieves a suit jacket and a few pieces of feminine clothing that were used in the construction. As the man heads back out, he reminds everyone that their shuttle leaves in two hours. Up on the ceiling, the squad's new technical expert, Tink, wakes up and immediately slams his head into the metal plating the all Guardsmen party and the interplanetary man of mystery
0: that's what a that's what a colossal con Sunday feels like
1: <laughs> just completely fucking annihilated
0: you're just like where where am I who are you
2: Where are we? Alright, go Kybert. Okay. I, I choose I was, you, go. I was gonna let Matt read the entire thing, but okay. <clears throat> so no shit. <laughs> there we were. Five hungover guardsmen in a shuttle conference room getting briefed. Why did I read that in my head as briefed?
0: Briefed? Like like Bulma's dad <laughs> Like Bulma's dad from Dragon Ball.
2: I don't understand
0: bulma's dad is named dr brief
2: okay i still don't understand (laughs) i'm funny getting brief on a desertion problem so massive that a literal army of commissars couldn't stop it at least that's what we thought the briefing was about it had been written by an inquisitor with an accent so thick that he was nearly impossible to understand and he'd felt the need to include that accent in his writing this problem was compounded by the fact that the bathrobe-wearing man reading it obviously didn't really give a damn and would often skip whole sections or pause to inject snarky comments. He sounds like us, not going to lie.
0: Yeah, do you see the and picture? In the, in the-, yeah. with the par- it's, it's Patrick Bateman.
2: Is it? I don't think so.
0: No, it's, it's Patrick Bateman.
2: I don't think so. It's,
0: it's 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 Patrick it's Patrick Bateman from Taxi Driver.
2: No. You're banned. You're banned. banned. Get out.
0: First, die. I listen, that <laughs> joke is funny.
2: Day. Because
0: all three of those all three of those movies are the uh, are the he's literally me trilogy. <laughs> It's, it's the three movies where people watch him and go, he's just like me for real.
1: Damn, dude. Mm-hmm.
2: The man in the bathrobe was our new interrogator. <sighs> We'd been hanging out in our section of Oak's ship when this guy burst in, dodged Twitch's reaction shot, and threw a briefcase into Sarge's lap. Then, without so much as pausing to introduce himself, he told us we had an hour to get, to be- to get the, the party started before the girls arrived and left again. The briefcase was full of money and marked evidence. We didn't overthink the situation. Nubby grabbed a few other guardsmen and went to get supplies. Sarge formed an impromptu cleaning detail, and the rest of the squad went to see who else was up for a good time. Things were already getting pretty lively when the mystery man returned. Over a dozen sororitas? Sororitas. Sororitas. Okay. And half of the all-female assassination team from Deck, G, and Toe. Just saying that we were surprised really doesn't do the situation justice. If it weren't for the large supply of liquid courage, most of the guardsmen present would have fled in terror. It was one hell of a party. Shame none of us could really remember it afterwards.
0: Right as things had been really getting started, the mystery man came over to where we were sitting and pulled Tank, the rather infamous regimental techie, out of the crowd. He briefly introduced himself as Bane John, said he was our new interrogator, and told us to go enjoy ourselves. Uh, when Sarge asked about the mission, in the, in- asked about the mission, the interrogator said he'd brief us and introduce the rest of the team later. They were busy doing boring stuff. After that, he wandered off and got a high-stakes po- poker game started with the leftover money from the briefcase, leaving us to, with the rather confused techie. After that, things were a bit of a blur, but a few incidents stood out. Nubby spectacularly lost a poker game and got a black eye after making a rather impertinent remark to Doc's hospitaler lady friend. Tink was thoroughly rejected by Hannah the Cog Girl, then got into a heated argument with Twitch over whether an auto gun could turn someone into an orc. That ended with Doc taking away most of Twitch's weapons, and Tink somehow wound up taped to the ceiling. Doc disappeared after the incident and didn't show up until the morning. And then when he wandered in smelling a flowery antiseptic and helped cut tank down, no one could remember what Sergeant did during the party, why he was dressed up like a rogue trader or who his idea, the glue and permanent marker was. We all remember the interrogator though. He was everywhere during the party. He drank more than anyone could really believe, won the poker game, and left a sister hanging on, e- left with a sister hanging on each arm after laying out two guardsmen during a rather spectacular brawl. Then, come morning, he was up and moving without showing a single sign of discomfort. It was almost enough to make you hate him.
1: Damn, that man's got some game.
3: The half-assed briefing came to a crashing halt when the rest of our team came in and demanded to know who we were and why were we why we were on their shuttle. In retrospect, it's easy to see why they didn't recognize us as the team's muscle. None of us looked very professional. Twitch and Nubby were obviously hungover. Doc was asleep across the row of chairs. Tink was still half covered with tape, and it was going to take some serious solvents to get the hat and eye patch off Sarge. As for the interrogator, most folks don't imagine a man lounging around in bathroom when they hear the phrase, that should be phrase, senior inquisitorial agent. When one Exception, the team consisted of the fifth worst type of people you'd find in the Inquisition, bureaucrats, coming in right between insane zealots and raging paranoids. They were the sort of extremely serious and tedious individuals that don't derive any actual satisfaction from their life. Or see why you should either. They'd all been some sort of special Arbitees team or something. But two of them were just adepts with shock mauls, and the other two were just the most tedious arbitrators in existence. To a man, they were very pleasant, unpleasant to be around. It was easy to see why the interrogator hadn't invited them to the party, and their fifth was even worse. He was the absolute worst type of inquisitorial teammate, a psyker. None, a nice, sane Psyker, either. He was a mutterer and radiated some sort of depressing aura. His mere presence was so mind-numbing that it had to be the result or cause of his teammates' personalities. The interrogator got them all calmed before anyone drew a firearm or the Psyker exploded. Man, this, this the guy who did this translated this, and even he knew that it's not clam, it's calm. Oh my god. Genius. Genius. Then... Then made a few introductions and dished us. He tossed the briefing documents to one of the adepts and just wandered off. Obviously, he had better things to do than sit around playing the mission. After an hour or so of tedious discussion, we all had decided he had the right idea and followed suit. No one seemed to notice when we left.
1: That set the tone for the rest of the trip. None of us had any desire to spend more time around the Grey Brigand Brigade than absolutely necessary, and that included the interrogator. He didn't exclude them from briefings or anything like that. Instead, he just dumped the whole fucking pile of data provided by the Inquisitors on the bureaucrats and told them to handle it. They didn't object to his treatment, and we certainly didn't want to get stuck with all the tedious mission planning, but this behavior stuck us as slightly odd. As far as we could tell, the interrogator wasn't doing anything to prepare for the near impossible task in front of us. Instead, he seemed focused on enjoying himself as much as possible during the voyage. The man seemed to have some sort of superpower. Somehow, he could get a party started any time, any place, at a moment's notice, every time we saw him, he was either telling an amusing story, running a poker game, or had a beautiful woman on his arm. It was damned impressive, especially given that we were on a Navy vessel, not a cruise ship. The only problem was that we could not fucking keep up with him. At first, we tagged along behind Bane, he, he was the best source of entertainment on the ship. The man was perfectly capable of drinking until 3 in the morning every single night. After a week, we just gave up and stood back and watched him. It was mind-boggling. In a doc's professional opinion, that guy was not frickin' human. We couldn't hold it against the interrogator, though. He was just a natural-born party animal and did his best to make sure we enjoyed ourselves when we joined him. But it was vaguely worrying that he was the one who was in charge of everything for the whole mission.
2: While the interrogator partied, and the boring people did boring things, we settled into our own routine and brought Tink properly into the squad. Tink got his name because Fix would have been confusing on the battlefield, and he had poor taste to complain that Tink was a sissy name when someone called him by it. Back in the regiment, he had been one of the grease monkeys who hung around in the motor pool and Armory. He wasn't an engine seer. Okay. Okay. And got rather snippy if someone called him. The engines here. One. Yeah, I'm confused. It's a it's it's a tech priest. Okay.
0: It's like a like a just an average run of the mill tech priest.
2: Okay. Um, he was a helper who had picked up far more knowledge than the average tech priest would want him to have. Oh, he's dangerous then. That made him mm. a lot more useful uh, if he wanted sexy. to get something fixed. <laughs> <laughs> the,
1: the machines are turning me on
2: <laughs>
0: Hold on, I'm a wreck right now, give me one second
1: Alright, no rush
0: My glasses fell off, I was putting a shirt on Tank top
2: You don't Continue. need a shirt for the recording But Yeah, okay. but I, wanted to,
0: I was in my work shirt and I wanted to change out of it Oh, okay So I changed into a tank top and pajamas
2: this made him a lot more useful if you wanted to get something fixed without also receiving a lecture on machine spirits and maintenance rituals. T- Tink was a solid trooper who pulled his weight, despite being rather squ Oh my god, I can't read. That's okay. Spend all day talking and then I can't talk anymore. <clears throat> Tink was a solid trooper who pulled his weight despite being rather scrawny and hopeless when it came to close range combat. He could fix just about any technical problem a guardsman could have and was the only plasma trooper we knew that still had his original fingers and no skin grafts. That said, Tink wasn't exactly popular with the rest of the regiment. The problem was that, not to find a point on it, he was weird. The man had some serious issues with Tech priests. couldn't keep his mouth shut, was nearly as bad as Nubby when it came to respecting personal property. And while he liked to say he had an affinity for technology, the rest of us just called it a fetish. Prior to joining us, he'd been part of the team that was, as far as we knew, still alive and pulling guard duty at some research facility. When Doc and Sarge tried to get more info about why he wasn't still with them, all they got was some dark muttering about hidebound reactionary dinosaurs standing in the way of true science and sexual harassment. No one felt the need to press any further.
0: Yeah, it, it, and, and just here is just like a tech priest. He's just a regular mechanic, basically, instead of like yeah. a religious nutcase tech priest where it's like... A religion to take care of mechanic, like mechanical stuff. He's just a mechanic. He's okay. uh, just he's just a guy. He's, he's just, just a guy. kid. He's just a kid, and All life right. is a nightmare.
1: Same. Mm-hmm. If he uh, if he advanced too far down his class track, he would start sticking his dick in toasters and
0: I'm praying just a to kid, the Almighty. And I the know almighty that loyal. it's not fair. Aside from the interrogators' parties and the occasional meeting with the arbitees, we kept to ourselves during the trip, which isn't to, isn't to say we just lazed around. From the sound of things, we were heading into a combat zone, and that's not a safe place for someone who's not prepared for a fight. Hiccup, none of us were keen on wasting time reviewing data and making intricate plans with the bureaucrats. Instead, we focused on getting our kit and ourselves into top condition. No hiccup. Okay, I'm good. Large, large said drills. So- <laughs> Sarge led drills, Nubby procured a few extra supplies, and Tank gave almost all of our gear a complete workover. Twitch wouldn't let anyone touch his stuff, and after Tank got a look at the modifications Twitch had made, he didn't even want to be in the same room with the Demolition Trooper's gear. Finally, Doc was ra- Finally, Doc, who was rather enthusiastic about his teaching skills after last mission, decided to get it a- get together with a few group exercises with the rest of the team. At first everyone just assured him that they were perfectly competent and had better things to do but after enough whe- wheedling everyone just agreed agreed just to shut him up the whole team formed up in a half full cargo bay and doc handed out Laz weapons with training packs It was going to be a few simple scrimmages with mixed teams to familiarize everyone and build morale
3: it did not build morale it wasn't a complete shambles like some once a side.
0: complete shambles great translation It wasn't complete samples. Sergio, why did you mute yourself in the middle of a sentence? Alright,
3: I'm gonna... Sergio's dead. Oh, God, he's
2: dead. The mechanic is dead. Oh, I'm here. (laughs) No, he's here. Never mind.
3: Alright, I need to restart my sentence. It wasn't a complete shambles like some of the other exercises we'd seen, but the RBD team did not want to be there, and the Psykers' aura made us all pissy. Little fuck-ups kept happening, there were some injuries, and whatever interrogator joined in, his team would win. Mostly everyone blamed the training guns, they were utter shit and jammed on every other shot. There was also the fact that none of us could really get serious in a fight like this. We wanted to fight dirty and use explosives, and the RBDs didn't want to fight at all. Nothing was going right. Well, I just moped around and got more and more frustrated until Sarge snapped at the Psyker, who'd failed to hit anyone all day, and told him to do something useful, damn it. A minute later, a small, localized shipquake shook the bay and knocked crates on both Tink and one of the Arbities. Then for an encore, the Psyker manifested a layer of ice on the floor, which he then slipped on, causing him to fly face-first into the wall and knock himself out cold. The interrogator called a halt there and suggested we'd not try this again. He, won- he then wandered off to see if anything was happening down on level 6 while we dug Tink and the Arbity out and dock checked the Psyker for a cracked skull. Perhaps unfairly, the Psyker got most of the blame for that shit show, and, and from then on, we called him Fumbles. This did not seem to make him any more depressed than usual.
1: We didn't spend much time hanging around in orbit once we reached the planet. A shuttle brought us down to a very fancy lounge, where we were greeted by the similarly posh Inquisitor who had requested our team's assistance. We'd worked with this man before and knew him by the moniker... Rupert. Before his promotion, he'd commanded two of our missions, which, despite... Being relatively successful, had both ended with him losing an arm to what might be called excessive enthusiasm. We were happy to see him. Between his political connections, combat prowess, and jovial demeanor, he was the best direct superior we had ever been given. Hard to understand though. He usually needed his supernaturally competent Batman, Alfred, to act as translator and general nursemaid. To our complete lack of surprise, our new interrogator hit it off wonderfully with the Inquisitor. Both Bane and the Rupert spent the evening drinking and telling tales of ridiculous heroism. While they swapped stories, Alfred quietly led the more serious members of our team off for a real briefing, which Tink, due to his poor understanding of the standard Imperial Guard protocol of not it, was awful forced to attend. The rest of us joined our interrogator for an enjoyable evening of good stories and better brandy. Of course, before we could really get started, the techie came back and dragged the rest of us into the briefing, and not because he wanted us to suffer with him or needed help taking notes or tracking our squad's responsibilities. As we made our way to the briefing, Tink quietly asked the rest of us if Alfred had a history of cruel, practical jokes, and if just hypothetically Oak would accept We're not suicidal idiots as a reason for abandoning a mission.
2: None of us had really gotten into the whole mission planning thing with the rest of the team. We figured they'd tell us anything we really needed to know when the time came. Doc and Sarge had taken a few peeks at the reports the adepts were putting together, but most of the info we had was from the original mission brief. We knew that we were fighting the orcs for this planet for some unspecified reason. We knew that things weren't going well, and we knew something about the amount of soldiers deserting there had drawn the Inquisition's attention what hadn't known was that rupert was the fourth inquisitor sent here to sort things out and that two of oak's interrogator teams had died here as well just to reiterate this mission had killed dozens of experienced inquisitorial agents and three full-blown inquisitors one dead inquisitor might have been understandable but three was just ludicrous The second two, at least, must have known that someone was gunning for them, and they'd still been wasted without anything to show for it. Three of the nastiest buggers this side of Terra had come here, and their entire retinues and all their inquisitorial authority, and died horribly. Now it was our turn. Of course, we found it odd that the Rupert, who had all the self-preservation instinct of a lemming, was still alive. Alfred explained that he had quite personally foiled over a dozen assassination attempts, and that anything over it was being blocked by the Inquisitor's numerous political connections with the local brass. There were three regiments camped around the mansion and a pair of frigates were undergoing repairs in synchronous orbit directly overhead apparently the other inquisitors had either operated discreetly and died discreetly or had demanded protection and been surprised by how quickly unpopularity can get you killed in a war zone sometimes it pays to be every officer every senior officer's cousin schoolmate comrade or drinking buddy
0: While this was all quite interesting, especially Alfred's descriptions of the messy ways the other teams had died, we were all left with a big question. Why the hell were we here? If the Rupert had managed to survive and make progress where all the other Inquisitors had died, what did he need our team for? None of us were happy with the Batman's answer. The Inquisitor had decided that the local guard command structure was so incredibly corrupt that he had to just sort it out personally. This meant that he wouldn't be able to devote his full attention to investigating the desertion, so he needed some trusty subordinates to do it for him. Specifically, he wanted old sweats with conkers for dodgy business and plenty of vim, some stalwart lads who can keep mum and don't get the collie wobbles when the fur flies. Which apparently meant us and whatever interrogator and teammates Oak had decided to send along. How anyone could apply the phrase keep mum to our interrogator stalwart to nubby or twitch or vim to our incredibly drab teammates was a mystery but here we i don't know what any of those phrases mean which just reminds me that this isn't this is this incredibly british
1: you don't know what it stalwart is. It means
0: it very much is. Team
1: are you going to answer <laughs> that
0: hmm? no i'm not <laughs> So while the Rupert did whatever the hell he was going to do about the corruption in the brass, we were going to be sent out to do a job that had already killed far more competent teams. As Alfred outlined the largest morale and desertion problem any of us had heard of, we listened to the sound of the socialite interrogator and the old war horse drinking and swapping tall tales in the next room and pondered our chances of survival. None of us were very optimistic.
3: The Rupert provided rooms for our teams in the mansion he commandeered, but we didn't get much time to enjoy them. Under any of our previous interrogators, there would have been some intel gathering and some basic plan forming, which is to say, someone else would do that while we kept our heads down. But Bang didn't seem keen on sitting around. He burst into our rooms, wearing his damn bathrobe and neatly avoiding all Twitch's traps, at an ungodly hour, and told us to gear up for a trip to the battlefield. Sarge tried to ask the interrogator what the hell we'd be doing up at the front. But the man just vaguely said everything would work out, then wandered off before any of us can navigate the minefield in front of the door. Less than an hour later, we were all sitting in a flyer, watching Tink as he frank, frantically went through the manual and poked at the controls. The interrogator sat in his sh- seat and cheerfully deflected or ignored the frantic questions from the rest of the team about where we were going and why we were going there. For our part we'd accepted, wasn't going to tell us anything, Had just grabbed our usual kits and strapped in for the ride. Except for Twitch. He yeah, well, had what might be called his orc loaded on. Not one- Not- No one sat near him, and the two seats he'd piled with explosives and weapons. After a few minutes, there was a- None ta- one.
1: None one. None, none. none
3: one. There was a shout of success from the cockpit, and the flyer's engines began to warm up. A second later, there was another shout, from the co-pilot Alfred had found for us, followed by a loud crackling sound as the nose gun went off and burned a neat hole in the side of the mansion. There was a short- mostly whispered argument between the two pilots, and Tink came out from the cockpit, got our destination coordinates from the laughing interrogator, and settled into the co-pilot's former seat.
1: As we flew, Tink passed Sarge J data. Detal Sate. Detal Sate. With a tech map of our destination, we were headed to spot supposedly just a few clicks behind our lines near one of the larger ongoing battles. Supposedly was the key word. Alfred, or one of the Rupert's adepts, had shaded the whole area in and labeled it, lines partially collapsed, incredibly porous, possible desertion hotspot, expect enemy patrols, and only enter in force. Struggling to keep the incredulity out of his voice, Sarge asked Bane, Why we were heading into a contested zone with only 11 men and what he hoped to accomplish here. The interrogator ignored the first question and told Sarge that we were going to find some deserters and... He snickered to himself, here. Interrogate them. Everyone just sort of sat there and stared at him. The only reason Sarge didn't both start bawling him out for the sheer stupidity of this idea was that the Arbiti and the two adepts beat him to it. There was a long and very polite argument about how fact-tactically sound uh, an expedition into contestant for no reason other than the capture of a few deserters was especially concerning that the local commissariat commissariat had put together several penal legions of them already. Unfortunately, all the arguments and criticism just ran off the interrogator like water. He sat there and repeatedly assured everyone that we can handle any problems and that whatever random schmuck we find will have all the information we'll need. Some abandoned the discussion to go plan the landing with Tink while Doc and Nubby started pulling some extra munitions out of Twitch's piles. At the back of the ship, the Psyker morosely told everyone that he had foreseen our horrible, godless, painful deaths. And Twitch proceeded to get into an argument with him about whether we'd all die to deserters, orcs, or orcs disguised as deserters.
2: So no shit. Say the thing. So no shit. There we were Yeah. There we were heading into a combat zone with no support to find a bunch of heavily armed former guardsmen, then ask them why they were deserting and where they were heading. Really says something that this was only the third worst plan we'd been part of. The flight got a lot more interesting as we neared the front. The ground war on this planet was one of the bigger ones we'd seen. The sheer number of troops we could see below us was staggering. You could actually identify hot zones from the glow of the mass lasgun fire. We all clustered around the, win- the windows, but after a few minutes, it stopped being amazing and was just depressing. A near-endless tide of guardsmen was marching into the fight, supported by millions of tanks and flyers, and all it was achieving... Was a stalemate. It was easy to see why desertion was a problem. The fight was bloody pointless, and it was obvious that most of the soldiers sent to that front weren't going to be coming back. The spot where we landed wasn't an active battle. It was a fairly wide valley that was used to hold a fair-sized town or something. It had been turned into a charred wasteland by artillery, the only movement we could see were soldiers standing watch up on the edges and the flash of artillery in the distance. It looked like the barrage was coming down right where the line was supposed to be. None of us speculated on whether they'd been allowed to pull back before the suppressive barrage was started. Tink sat us down in a dell, a click or two outside the town. Or rather, the loner pilot sat us down while Tink carefully watched what buttons he pressed. The interrogator cheerfully reminded us that, officially, everyone here left here was a deserter, so all we had to, to was find someone to ask some questions, then head back to base for dinner and drinks. We shared a pained look with the other half of the team as he bounded out the rear hatch, then followed him into the no-man's land.
0: It goes without saying that the wasteland wasn't a happy place. None of us wanted to be there, even without the presence of desperate deserters or orc scouts. Anywhere that's had that many shells dropped on it is amazingly unsafe to wander around. Tank tried to convince Sarge that, despite the complaints from the co-pilot, it was his duty to stay in the flyer. He might have pulled it off if both Nubby and Twitch hadn't joined in when they saw Sarge act- actually considering it. As the interrogator led us in the general direction of town in the center of the valley, we kept our heads down and eyes open. The interrogator didn't either. The man's only concession to stealth was to occasionally sprint between wrecked buildings or walls and then stand up and return to walking out in the open when he got bored. After the second time we just barely stopped him from stepping on an on an on an unexploded shell. Sarge put Twitch in charge of walking in front of him, and the rest of us spread up spread out I can't read either, Kai, don't worry. To a scouting perimeter. The Arbiti team just walked along behind the interrogator, mimicking his moves and quietly complaining to each other about the situation. It was amazing that we got to the edge of the town without anyone being seen or blowing up. Not long after we entered the town proper, we saw signs of life. A few small buildings were still standing and the campfire smoke was coming out of one of them. We pulled back to discuss the plan of attack with the interrogator, but as soon as we pointed out the building, he stopped listening and ran towards it while the rest of us raced to catch up. We got there too late to stop him and just in time to watch as he flung the door open and stood there with his cloak billowing around him and a Rosette on display and loudly asked if anyone inside was a traitorous deserter.
3: For a few seconds of shock silence, then a rain of last fire poured out the door, barely missing the interrogator and clipping one of the adepts. Sergeant Twitch immediately popped nades and put them through the building's windows and Nubby laid down some suppressive fire on the doorway, giving Doc the cover he needed. While well, the rest of us got got the fight started and pulled the wounded adept to safety... Tink stepped back, pulled down his goggles, and raised his plasma gun. If you've never seen a plasma gun in action, imagine a cross between las Gun and slug door. Instead of projecting a be- brief beam of powerful light, it gets to get an incredibly hot ball of energy, then lobs out like a stubber. But unlike a stub, ro- a stub round, that blob of plasma will burn through just about anything that gets in its way. Also, its bright blue it makes an incredibly ominous whine as it charges, occasionally vents superheated gases onto the user. All in all, lasguns Guns are a lot safer for and easier to use. But when you want to destroy armor, punch to a wall, accept no substitutes. Tink put several rounds through the walls on either side of the door, killing the poor bastards, taking cover against them and opening firing ports for Sarge and Twitch to use. After that, the fight was pretty much one sided. We had better positions, weapons, and training, but the real kicker was when the interrogator came through the back door with the rest of the team. For all of his lack of tactical sense, the man was an impressive fighter. He swept in and wiped out the last four deserters before they managed to turn to face him. Neither the Arbides nor the Psyker got a shot off before it was over. It was an impressive end to the battle. Unfortunately, the whole thing was spoiled by the little wounded Adept screaming and the fact that none of us are remembered to leave someone alive for interrogation.
1: As soon as Doc was finished bandaging the Adept, we got away from Could the you, uh,
0: make sure you finish your sentence before you mute. You cut yourself off at the end there.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh We got away from the corpse-filled building before someone came to check out the noise. As we moved, Bane treated everyone to a play-by-play of the fight with sound effects, and Sarge privately decided that it would be best to keep the interrogator away from the next group of deserters we found. When Twitch spotted movement in another wrecked building, we pulled together and formed a fairly simple plan. Doc who was sticking with the wounded adept anyway, was put in charge of keeping the rest of the team out of our way. He led them in the opposite direction from the deserters to investigate some random pile of debris, which might be hiding a secret deserter hideout or something, while the rest of us just casually walked away. After a little scouting and some discussion, we said that it would probably be easier for us to pretend to be fellow deserters and to ask for info than try and capture one of them. That is to say, it was easier for Twitch and Nubby to pretend to be fellow deserters. Sarge and Tink decided to stay back and watch. Tink's plasma gun and other toys made him stand out a little too much for comfort, and Sarge practically had SENIOR NCO tattooed on his forehead. Neither of them was likely to find friends on the inside. But Twitch and Nubby were practically fucking poster children for desertion. If a director was putting together one of those commissioned films on the evils of cowardice and asked for an obvious cretin as well as someone who'd clearly snapped many years ago, he'd have both troopers back for looking too stereotypical. They didn't have any trouble at all. All walking into the camp, and here we have a, an artist's rendition of Nubby and Twitch. Nubby is carrying a giant fucking mail sack behind him, even though he's a manlet, and Twitch is he's
0: also he has his robot legs.
1: Grip. Hey, he's got the robot legs. That's true. That's true. And Twitch. I is- also
0: like to point out, mm-hmm. plasma guns are blue unless mm-hmm. they're red yes. or they're yes. green. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes That's purple. Right.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of course,
2: but never yeah. yellow. Ever. Well, these are special. Anyhow. Anyhow. <clears throat> Within a minute of entering, Nubby was trading. Is that Eho? Eho sticks?
1: Eho? Trading Eho?
2: Eho, must be. Okay. Trading Eho sticks for rumors and had Twitch collecting info on local orc patrols. Of course, these guys didn't know anything really useful to us. Why would they? They were just a bunch of poor suckers who'd gotten screwed over just about everyone on either side of the war. None of them had any secret nefarious plan. They just didn't want to die. Mostly, they just told us that the troopers above the valley were shooting anyone who tried to leave, which is pretty much what we expected from the commissariat. They did, however, have one piece of interesting info, though. One of them said that the former officer was pulling deserters together for a push out of the valley. They didn't want any part of it, but we were free to try if we had a death wish. Unfortunately, before Numby could get directions from them, the screaming started. It came from the area where Doc was distracting the interrogator and sounded awful warpy. The second it faded, it was replaced with the sound of gunfire. The deserters all immediately ran for it, and we decided to pull ba- back to help instead of trying to stick with them. We calmed Doc as we ran in and attempt to figure out what the hell was going on, but the medic wasn't making much sense. All we were able to establish was that someone was an idiot, and there were orcs involved. When we finally made visual contact with the team, they were holed up in some rubble and exchanging fire with a bunch of deserters in another pile. The four of us started to flank around, but before we got halfway, we were interrupted by a loud wah and the arrival of a squad of greenskins on the opposite side of the fight.
0: It's times like this that knowing your enemy and having a decent comms network can really pay off. We all grabbed cover, and Sarge barked a ceasefire order to the rest of the team, which, to a complete lack of surprise, was obeyed by everyone but Bane. Luckily, a piece of debris blocked the Greenskin's view of the interrogator, which meant that he, uh, I do know, which meant that the Deserters were the only eight visible enemies. Following their usual insane logic, the orcs all charged a hostile pile of rubble, completely ignoring us as we got into position to take out the winner. The fight ended without any other incident, so once again, none of the deser- Deserters survived. My dog is mad about that. While Sarge reported the small amount of information Nubby and Twitch attained, Doc filled us in on what happened. As he worked to patch up a second, the second adept, the medic explained that the ruined building he'd picked for the for a distraction had just happened to contain another group of deserters. They'd been talking about something, and the inc- interrogator wanted to listen in, so he led the whole team closer. Right as they got too close, right right as they got close. Someone, Doc threw a wad of bloody bandage at fumbles here, decided to try listening at the deserter's thoughts instead of their voices and screwed the pooch. Hence the warpy scream, the Doc's near deafness when we calmed, and the ensuing fight. He said it was sheer bloody luck that the interrogator managed to dodge all the fire and hadn't wound up like the adept. Furthermore, it's practically a miracle that only one one group of orcs had followed the noise. All in all, Doc was not a very happy trooper, despite getting a great chance to prove his medical ability, and said we'd gotten off incredibly light so far. He was of the opinion that it was time to cut our losses, and the two bleeding adepts seemed to agree, or at least they moaned in a sort of agreeable way.
3: All right. had a very weird discussion. Very weird discussion with the interrogator while Doc complained to the rest of us. He didn't seem to mind that we'd gone off to do our own investigation and seemed inordinately happy with the scrap of info about someone organizing the local deserters. When Sarge and the Arbidees pointed out that none of us had the slightest idea where in the large ruined orc filled valley this was happening, the man only laughed and assured them that the deserters we just fought... had probably known where it was. Sarge adopted the very patient voice he used when talking to slow children or armed madmen and s- explained that those deserters were very dead now. It was unlikely they'd be giving us directions. Five minutes later, Sarge and Nubby were digging through the corpses looking for any secret notes or maps of the hideout. Ten minutes later, he was swearing sulfurously as he delivered the map to Bane. Unbelievably, it was a map to where the deserters were mustering with detailed instructions and everything. We didn't even need to have the adepts translate the version of Gothic it was written in interrogator just happened to have studied it back in the scola none of us were very happy about this turn of events for one thing it meant we weren't going to be leaving the valley yet for another it was a complete another bullshit sure occasionally you find some random thing that just happens to be exactly what you need but it's pure luck you don't get to depend on it as happening as part of your plan it was unfair to the universe playing along with them. and when it finally stopped it was probably going to get us killed along with him
1: there were there was a was a lot of grumbling as we followed the map deeper into the town. The entire group's mood, except the interrogators, entered a sort of downward spiral, starting at anger and transitioning through disgust to a sort of weary depression. While Sarge had a lot of unkind things to say about the interrogator, and most of us engaged in a sort of round robin bitch fest with the Arbadies. Doc and his patients were the worst. Continuously whined about having to care for the two adepts who, in turn, complained about having bleeding holes in their bodies. We probably would have all killed ourselves before we got to the enemy if it weren't for Twitch and Tink. Twitch, bless his paranoid little heart, accused one of the Arbadees of stealing his happiness and draining his very soul away. Tink grabbed that chain of logic and ran with it, and a few minutes later, we're all feeling better as Fumbles stayed a minimum of 20 meters behind everyone else. It was decided by fair and democratic vote that the two Arbodies would take turns keeping him company until Doc could get his hands on some antidepressants for the creepy little bugger. The interrogator ignored this whole charade. He was too busy walking in plain sight with the map, help... Out in front of him, we figured that the best case scenario, his luck would hold and he'd lead us to the deserters without any kind of an incident. Uh, worst case, uh, well, he'd get killed by a dud shell or a bunch of fucking orcs. It was a win-win situation and Nubby even started taking bets on the outcome. At least until Sarge got really pissed off and threatened to put him on fumbles and duty. Unfortunately, it uh... turned out we were far too optimistic.
2: Doc was the first who recognized the landmarks from the map, but it was Twitch who spotted the stubborn nest. By the time we saw it, the interrogator was already halfway across the kill zone. The entire team piled up at the edge and watched as Bane walked up to a wrecked lamppost and then paused to check his map. Sarge frantically flipped his comm to the interrogator's channel and told him to freeze. Instead, he turned to face us and loudly asked why everyone had stopped. Everyone held their breath and waited for the stubber to open up on him. Eventually, we ran out of breath. Somehow, the two deserters in the nest completely failed to notice that a man, in a flapping cloak that screamed Inquisition, no less, was standing behind a post half as wide as him and talking on his com bead. I read that as cornbread. <laughs> cornbread. Ugh, I need my eyes checked. In a choked voice, you, you Sarge explained- explain. glasses lenses, I think. I do, I actually do I did get my eyes (laughs) checked But anyway um, In a choked voice, Sarge Explained the situation, prompting Bane to lean out and stare at the Nest for a few seconds, then start Talking in a loud stage whisper This was more than we could handle Sarge peeked around the corner and verified That the hostiles looked like real Soldiers, and neither one was blindfolded Then jerked back as the Stubber swung to bear on him we all heard one of the deserters tell the other that he might have seen something. Sarge, oh, oh, Doc, God, and... <laughs> Sarge Doc, and the Arbades started to argue over their comms with the interrogator, who was whispering so loudly that we could all hear him from across the street, while the rest of us got into a fairly heated discussion about just what the hell was going on here. Tink was of the opinion that something Warpy was happening, though Fumbles denied this and claimed that everything was normal. This prompted Nubby to start blaming the depressed Psyker for screwing with the laws of physics, while Twitch, of course, blamed everything on the orcs. The argument came to a crashing halt when Tink's voice rose almost to the same level as the interrogator's and the stubber opened up on our cover.
0: Whose footprints are these? What was that noise? Huh? What was that noise? It wasn't a, a long or well-aimed burst, just a spray across our general area. In our professional opinion, these guys were obviously more interested in convincing us to leave than actually scoring a kill. But a freak ricochet managed to nail one of the adepts in the leg. While Doc opened his med kit for the third time that day and Nubby yelled abuse at the two deserters, Twitch directed our attention to Bane. He was br- briskly walking into the alley the nest was guarding while the enemy was distracted. We figured he's going to take out the stubbornness so we could follow him. Instead, he calmed us all in a voice that just oozed smugness, and he ordered us to meet him at the main courtyard, then said he was going dark and turned off his combi. Hopefully he yet heard what yelled what t- la- 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 Tink yelled at him. The deserter certainly did, as a, sec- as a second ricochet launched itself squarely in Twitch's helmet. Everyone except Sarge... And the Arbides was in favor of ditching the interrogator and heading back to the flyer. Unfortunately, orders were orders, and we had a job to do. After all of us calmed down, we pulled back into a more secure, wrecked building and got a plan together. Shooting our way in was out of the question, so we needed a way to sneak in. The problem was that none of us were very sneaky, and only half of us stood a chance of impersonating deser- deserters. We didn't have spare uniforms for the Arbides, and neither, neither of the adepts were up for anything strenuous. Fumbles volunteered to make us all invisible, but Doc immediately vetoed that idea and sent and sent him back to his corner on the far side of the building. In the end, we just decided to leave them all together. Sorry, I'm about to hiccup. To act as a secure base while we went in ourselves. Tink's toys and plasma weapon were crammed into a rucksack. Doc was pushed into the middle of, into a puddle of mud, and Sarge hoped really hard that no one on perimeter duty had a grudge against NCOs. Nubby and Twitch in the lead. We went to back up the idiot.
3: We circled around to the main entrance in hope of finding some less weird guards than the selectively blind ones that shot at us. The main entrance of the Zer's compound had at least two gunners covering it and a few troopers lounging around the front of it. Protesting, Nubby was kicked out ahead of us to act as emissary and sidled up to the troopers with his hand held comically high in the air. None of us heard what he told the guards, but they quickly lowered their weapons and let Nubby join them at their post. Low sticks were exchanged and a bottle ...materialized from somewhere, and after a few more minutes or pro- than were probably necessary, he called us over. Nubby made the round of introductions, starting with Sarge, who got an appraising look from the man in charge, ending with Doc. When the Desters saw we had a medic, they perked up and started asking pointed questions about the state of his med kit, i.e. how many ampules of painkillers he had, and how many he really needed. Doc shot Nubby a glare, and ponied up about a third of his supply. This immediately made us several new friends, and one of the troopers happily reached really show us around. The tour consisted of a meandering walk through the collapsed buildings that made up the compound and ended up in an open central area populated by a few dozen deserters. He dumped us on an oddly cheerful man who welcomed us to the First Free Army and informed us that we were extremely lucky. It turned out that we'd arrived just in time to hear an important answer from the general after it was over he'd see us getting fit in, but now we should just listen. A paraman who could have been Sarge's brothers came out of a nearby building and started barking everyone into formation as we shuffled around. Twitch bought a single soldier in a Valhalla coat and hat, a preposterously large mustache, and a dozen things which obviously marked him as an Inquisition agent.